to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast for dog owners. If you find yourself in precarious predicaments with your dog, this podcast is for you. I'm Rachel Harris. I'm a certified professional dog trainer, and I hope to give you a fresh outlook on your dog's behavior and practical dog training advice. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Disorderly Dogs, the podcast. I am so excited to talk all about service dogs on today's episode. Before we jump into my conversation about service dogs, um, if you haven't listened to um, the episode about therapy dogs, it's super informative. And then um, the latest episode, You Get to Show Up for Your Dog, is also a really good one. So um, if you're not caught up, go ahead and and give those episodes a listen. Um, I am back to work. I took several days off to go hiking and enjoy some time with my friends and family. It's been so awesome. Um, If you follow us on the gram, you've seen all the majestic pictures of our hikes. It's been so gratifying, so fun. Um, I think Tiva and Waylon are actually glad to have a couple of days off. Um, Waylon swam for about six hours on Sunday. So um, yeah, he's having a couple of days off before we get back in the swing of things. Um, Thank you so much to everyone who has voted in my Instagram polls. Um, It's been fun to hear about what you guys want to hear about on the podcast. So thank you for that feedback. Um, You guys wanted to hear about service dogs. So I'm bringing you an episode about service dogs. Um, I'm really excited too. Um, In some future episodes, I'm going to be talking about um, puppy socialization. So if you have a puppy, those are going to be must listen episodes for sure. Um, I'm sorry about the groaning in the background. That would be Tiva lying and mumbling at my feet. (laughs) Sweet girl. (laughs) Um, Okay, so my special guest is Hallie Wells, and she is the lead service dog instructor at Peach on a Leash in Atlanta, Georgia, and she shares um, all her wisdom about training service dogs in this episode. So um, I really hope you enjoy the conversation, and guys, if you like this podcast, it would mean a lot to me. If you you could leave a five-star review on iTunes. You can just scroll down. There's a little purple button with a pencil. It says, write a review. You can click five stars and let me know what you like about this episode. So here we go. I'm really happy to be talking about what I love doing and what my um, kind of role is in the service dog industry. So cool. So cool. Okay. So um. I think that we should start off by defining what a service dog is, just so everybody's clear on like what the actual role of a service dog is. Yeah. So a service dog is a dog that is trained to perform tasks for one handler. Um, I know you talk to someone that trains therapy dogs. Therapy dogs actually help a bunch of different people and service dogs are trained to help one person with specific tasks to enrich or enhance their life. Okay, yeah, and I think that that's a good point to make, that service dogs really only work with one person. And then um, is it common that service dogs live their whole life and serve just one person? Yes, that is. Um, It is very common for one dog to work with one handler. It 
usually some of the national and bigger service dog or guide dog schools, they will take a dog back if it is not the right fit for their handler. And they'll, what they call, just um, reassign them to someone else that they would be a better fit for. But typically, a dog works with one person for the entirety of their career. Wow, that's so amazing. And that's profound, right? To think that like a dog's entire lifespan is served improving one person's life. That's pretty beautiful. Yeah, it's it's really incredible, especially seeing teams that have worked together for a really long time. Um, there's not much cooler than watching a guide dog team that has worked for years together and they're just, they're just like almost one entity with their communication and their mechanics and everything. It's really incredible to watch. Yeah. That's awesome. That's like, that's true. Like that's true relationship building at its finest Mm -hmm. right there. Oh my gosh. It is. Yeah. Okay. So Um, let's talk about some of the specific like tasks and roles that a service dog plays for its one handler in its lifetime. Okay. Yeah. So there's a bunch of different types of service dogs that are available in the industry. It's really incredible that we can train all these different types of dogs to do all these different types of tasks. Um, but we do Um, some basic standardization with our training and that's public socialization so public access the dog has to be comfortable in any scenario um, and comfortable working with anything that arises so your everyday stuff then traveling to the airport public transportation um, even like concerts and different events and festivals the dog still has to be comfortable with that stuff as well We also train the dogs to do a, um, sorry, I have a crying puppy that he's, he just makes a lot of noise. He's not unhappy. It's all good. No, everyone is familiar with the the musical (laughs) stylings of Tiva and Waylon. He can't get a piece of chicken out of his cock or something, so he's just crying (laughs) at it. Um, But we have dogs that do physical support, which is doing tasks that come off the concept of push, pull and retrieve so the dog can push things and pull things so opening and closing doors opening and closing cabinets pulling items of clothing off someone retrieve is carrying an item or picking an item up that you might have dropped um pushing can be pushing um a wheelchair it can be helping push a grocery cart it can be helping um give an alert cue Pulling is also, you can help pull a wheelchair. So some people might need the pull to get started. Some people might need a little push. Um, It really depends on the person. And we do counterbalancing and bracing as well. And we also do PTSD mitigation and autism support dogs. Wow. Yeah. So service dogs really have like a wide range of um, people and needs that they can serve. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and our company actually has a pretty narrow realm into it. We decided to focus on what we're really good at and what we love. But, you know, there's diabetic alert dogs, epilepsy and seizure disorder alert and response dogs. There's psychiatric support dogs. Um, It's truly incredible what some of these dogs can do, and they just love doing it. Nice. That's so cool. Okay. So, um, let's talk about, um, how you guys 
train. So like you, so are you getting like young puppies and starting them from puppyhood? Are you working with adult dogs? Like, can you just kind of like give us like some insight into what that looks like, like your day to day in training service dogs? Yeah, that's what I love. So my background is actually at a um, national guide dog and service dog organization. It was a nonprofit and I worked as the puppy program manager there for five years. And when I realized I wanted to make a change, I kind of looked at what was important to me and force-free positive reinforcement training was what really lights me up and fills my cup. And I was super excited to be working with a new training company in Atlanta, Georgia. I was moving to be closer to home. And my boss was kind enough to kind of let me start my own service dog program. So she knew that there was an interest. She was getting a lot of inquiries about it. They just didn't have the bandwidth to serve that clientele when they were just focusing on pet dogs. So I kind of built a program and we're still building. We're still growing. The response was really incredible. I was anticipating training maybe one to two service dogs a year. And we get maybe one to two service dog inquiries a month. Um, So right now we have a mix of everything. I have um, a rescue dog that we are training. He was a pet for about six months before we started training him. Um, And then I have dogs that were purchased or um, adopted with the intention to have them as service dogs. So they started with socialization um, from day one. And we focus mostly on getting dogs from the right sources and that we um, know they're getting the good foundation that we need before they start socialization because that eight to 16 week period is so important. So I prefer to start with puppies that I can get my hands on immediately and make sure that they're happy and healthy and love going out in public right away. And then we go from there. But we have our most popular training program that we have is actually a hybrid of owner, I would say owner maintains, and then I do the training. So the dog stays with me for training intensives around four to six weeks at a time. And I teach them a couple of tasks during that intensive based on what their owner needs and based on the dog's maturity. And then from there, the um, owner maintains those tasks with me through FaceTime, um, Skype, phone calls, in person. So really, um, they're getting the education and getting to bond with the dog throughout the training. And um, I'm getting to put the tasks on the dog and then generalize it to public and the home. Yeah. Okay. So I want to touch on a couple of things that you brought up. So something that we talked about a lot in the therapy dog episode two was socialization. And I think that that's something that people hear it. I feel like it's almost a buzzword, (laughs) but I feel like it's important for people to recognize that we know that there is a developmental stage in which you can create positive associations and it will have vast impacts on who the dog becomes. Yes. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that is so important. Um, Really that eight to 16 week old stage is imperative. It really makes or breaks a service dog, to be honest. Um, I do have a couple dogs where it 
has been extremely rare in my whole career um, where maybe the dog had an injury when they were a puppy or they weren't able to make it out in public and they kind of caught up a little bit, but that's where the genetics come in as well. But in general, most dogs need to be socialized in public from eight to 16 weeks to be comfortable in public for the rest of their life. Yeah, right. So um, it's important for service dogs who are serving this huge role. But I think that it's important that people recognize that it's important for every dog. Um, yeah, puppies are so yes, hard to manage. Every, okay? <laughs> yeah, every single person that I work with, and I do some training with pet dogs as well. And every single person I work with, I give them a checklist that I ask them to follow. And, you know, take two or three of these outings and go there and bring your hot dogs, bring your cheese, whatever. And obviously, um, even with my service dog puppies, like I just want them to be puppies and have fun because then the training doesn't, the you know, the form of what people think of like a studious service dog that's so serious, like that doesn't start until they're much older and have the maturity and the foundation for that. If we don't have a happy puppy, we don't have a happy service dog. Yeah, for sure. That's a super good point to make. Um, okay. So I think that, I think it's interesting for people to know like the timeline, right? That like the dog does spend a significant amount of time with you so that you can set like the formal foundation for some of the trained behaviors, but Mm -hmm. bonding and being a part of the person's life that they're going to be the service dog for. Like, I think that that's a really good thing for people to know too, right? Yeah. I absolutely love it. It's so cool because my first two service dogs that I got when I moved here in November, um, I was really nervous because one of them had been with their owner for the in, their entire life from the time they were seven weeks old. And thankfully, she did a ton of socialization and he's such a fantastic dog. But the first two weeks that he lived with me, he was like, who are you? Why did you take me from my mom? What is going on? And then he started started to settle in. The next time I saw him when we did our outing, when he went back to his owner and we were doing some practice so she could learn how to use him, he lost his mind when he saw me and he was so excited. And then our second training intensive, he was like, oh yeah, this is my second home. Like, this is fun. This is great, whatever. But seeing the bonds develop and seeing the dog's understanding of what they're supposed to do with their owner as well as me is really profound. And coming from an organization where they did puppy raising, so the dog stays with a puppy raiser until they're about a year and a half, and then they go into formal training, and then they go to someone, the bond is hard to develop with that puppy with their final owner. Um, We do have puppy raising options, but it's cool because you have that connection of, you know, exactly who that dog is going to. My puppy raisers are starting to build relationships with the owner of the dog and sharing pictures and videos and seeing each other in person. That's a really unique aspect that I think is just, it's an unbelievable thing for me. And I didn't think it would develop that way. And I love it. Yeah. And that's so cool because so Guys, we were talking before we got started and I was kind of sharing that, you know, a lot of you had sent me direct messages on Instagram and you were curious about training your own service dogs. And I think 
Hallie, I think it's so cool that you guys have this hybrid program, right? Where it doesn't have mm-hmm. to be that like the dog lives with someone else and has all of its training before you even get to be a part of the dog's life. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so incredible. And I love like sending training videos, like, Oh, guess what they finally got today. And like, look at how awesome they were. And then I get that feedback as well. So it's so reinforcing for me. Like I got a message from one of my clients yesterday morning and it was just this goofy picture of her dog. And she was just like, Oh, she woke me up in the best mood today. Like I didn't want to get out of bed. And there was this dog just smiling at me and just little things like that. It, really strengthens the bond between the owner and the dog but it also secretly reinforces me as well (laughs) (laughs) yeah and like I talk about this all the time that like positive reinforcement works for dogs and for people right and like training dogs and working with people is a really fulfilling career but it also has its lows you know and like getting that positive feedback it's it's awesome for us on the trainer side of things yeah Yeah. So if you work with a trainer, give them updates that are positive. (laughs) Tell them how great your dog is doing. Right. Yeah. We want to hear that for sure. Okay. So, um, okay. So ideally training starts when they are puppies and really what it boils down to is you're working on positive experiences in the world and as many places as possible. Yes, but it even starts before that when the dog is still with their mom. So we work very closely with breeders that um, participate in socialization programs, either puppy culture or something similar, where these puppies are learning to work as a group, but also independently. We want a dog that works and loves to be you know, problem solving and figuring things out and having fun and investigating their environment. So we want to make sure the mom is really happy because, you know, it's a learned behavior to explore your environment. And we want to make sure that the dog is coming from um, a source that, you know, the health and the genetics are very, are, you know, up to par and, above and beyond what we would expect from just any dog. I get, I mean, I, I don't want to, there's, there's different levels of expectations that we have from different sources that we get the dog from like either a rescue or a breeder or, you know, a pet store, people purchase dogs from pet stores and stuff like that. So we really want to work with people where the mom is happy, the puppies are happy And the dog hasn't had really any negative experiences that are going to deter them from being in public. And that's kind of the catch of not using rescues all the time. Um, I explain that saying that we don't know the dog's history and they, we could be causing them to experience PTSD or be extremely uncomfortable because they might be a naturally stoic dog and have learned how to mask their behavior and their emotions. Um, So that's why we tend to work with dogs that we can get their hands on them and see them from the time they're two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, and then seven weeks, we do a final evaluation and pick one. And then eight weeks, they are out and about with us. And okay. um, Yeah. So I think, you know, and I think that's important because um, while socialization is very important, it's only part of the, the picture. 
right? Because genetics play a huge role in who dogs become as they age. So guys, you know, just to clarify that there, that's why it's really important that um, breeders should be choosing dogs with not only good temperaments, but good physical health to be part of breeding programs. So there's, there's a lot of forethought that goes into that stuff before probably you're even like seeing the puppies. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. I mean, the time that goes into it just shows me that this is a reputable breeder and I'm comfortable working with them. Um, And then we build relationships with different breeders and they can even see the standout ones because they start to learn what I look for and what I'm expecting from the puppies at each age. So cool. So I think that's something that like, I'm definitely curious about. I'm sure lots of other people are curious about. Can you give us some examples of like breeds that you pretty typically are using for service dogs? The industry standard for service dogs and assistance dogs in general that covers guide dogs and working dogs as well is Labrador Retrievers. They love to eat, they love people, and they're, they're very easy to train. Um, Golden Retrievers are very similar. They love to eat, they love people, they're easy to train. Um, we also work with standard poodles or poodle crosses um, to help cut down on the dander that might occur if someone has allergies. Um, we, you know, there are other breeds out there that work, German Shepherds, um, Dobermans. Um, there's, you know, some other breeds that people choose to use, but the industry standard tends to be the golden retrievers in the labs just for the ease of training and the public perception and the health and longevity of the dog. Yeah, for sure. I think that's super good to know. Okay. So, um, when it comes to service dogs, how long are they training before they can be like active service dogs? Or like, what does that look like? You know, like when can like a dog start like working in its role as a service dog? Usually a dog starts working with their owner as a service dog around a year and a half to two years. So they have to have a socialization period. And that's just when we're introducing self-control in public, exploring all the different things that are going on, um, taking them anywhere and everywhere we can think of that someone might one day go because we want that experience with their owner. So for example, the airport, that's not something you're going to go every week, every month, you know, but the dogs that train with me go at least quarterly. And that's because we want them to have a really fun experience there. And we make sure that period is really fun and we're building in self-control, basic obedience, their foundation tasks for the service dog tasks they're going to be starting with. And then we start really formal training where we raise our expectations. We start um, shaping the behaviors so the dog is taking initiative more and learning to move off of not only verbal cues, but environmental cues. So if we have someone that experiences PTSD and needs to leave a room, then we have a dog that can pick up on that with either the slightest collar cue or a person making a hand motion. So it doesn't have to be obtrusive and draw attention. Um, And it really depends on the dog's maturity and their 
size. If we have a dog that is doing counterbalance or bracing, we need them to be big and muscular. So we do a lot more core work with them. We do a lot of work on making sure that they're you know, comfortable with that. So they might be in training a little bit longer so we can ensure that their bone structure and their muscle structure is intact to do the work that we need them to do. Yeah. Right. Okay. So like, it's not only just formal training, it's also physical strength building. That's essential Mm -hmm. to serve their role as a service dog. Yeah. Yeah. We want to make sure that not only the dog is mentally healthy, but is physically healthy as well. So we, you know, we try to ensure that the dog has a strong core, they have endurance, that they can, you know, it's not exhausting them and depleting them every day to work and be out in public. Okay. Yeah. So, um, okay. So you have a dog who is a year and a half, two years old, and they're out in the field. They're, they're working, they're doing the tasks that they're trained. Can you kind of tell us like what the reinforcement looks like for these dogs so like is there a point where you fade food as the reinforcement is the owner still reinforcing is the act of working in and of itself reinforcing like what does that look like like as they're matured and they're you know working okay so there's a lot of different views on this but i believe that every service dog should get paid for their job And that might not be, you know, when they're little puppies, they might get reinforced, they might get the marker word, the clicker, and then food and parties all the time. But as they get older, we're going to be reinforcing only the best of the best, but their owners are still expected to bring food with them. I actually make them sign that in the contract. They are expected to do training sessions at home with food. So you're making the cues themselves reinforcing. And they still have to bring food and bring their voice and bring their parties out in public. So if we have a dog that works through, um, you know, a really tough mall that people are being very distracting and their owner needs them to really focus and get them to the next destination, they might throw a party for the dog when they get there and lower down to their level, give them a couple treats, pet their butt, whatever the dog likes. But we try to really make sure the dog still gets paid in the thing that makes them the happiest and the thing they love the most, which is food. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah. And it's like, I preach this all the time. People who listen to this podcast are probably sick of hearing me say it. But like, again, dogs don't work for free. And like you said, right, <laughs> these service dogs, are they're serving huge roles in people's lives. So I love to hear yeah. that their payment is just kind of built into the day to day. Yeah, it really is. And I work very hard to provide a foundation where the dogs know that something good is coming after a cue. So it might be I ask them to do, you know, a push cue, then they have to stand in that position, and then they have to wait, and they still get reinforced for that. Or we might have a dog that takes off someone's sock, and then braces as the person stands up from the chair and then brings them their shoes, and then they get food. So we do a nice loop of sequencing where the dog knows that reinforcement is coming eventually, and you know we make sure that the owner isn't stingy. I always tell people not to be stingy, and there's a reason for it. I want the dog to keep working, and I want them to keep being happy. Yeah, and it's like what you're describing is the dog is doing a very advanced task. 
right? Like you're doing a lot to get a food reinforcement. It's not that the service dog is just standing there staring at its owner and getting food, right? Like it's serving its role and then getting paid Mm -hmm. after the fact. Yeah, absolutely. Our dogs do not work for free. And my service dogs that I train have very high quality tastes as in cheese hot dogs. And, (laughs) you know, they get their kibble as well. But if they do something big for me, I'm not being stingy they're getting freeze-dried liver they're getting lung they're getting hot dogs you know whatever the dog prefers they're getting a big payday nice okay so um okay so a dog who is mature year and a half two years old is like working for its owner are you regularly like teaching and improving the tasks that they already know or is that more up to the owner I'm sure it probably depends like per dog and team but what's like the maintenance schedule look like? Like as far as like a serve, like a, a handler, like working with you. Yeah. An owner gets client education throughout the training process. Every time we go into public, every time we're on the phone, every time we do a video session, I'm giving them information on what to do. And they also have reading material and videos that I send to them that are required to go through And we also, you know, there's also problem solving. They aren't robots. So it might be, I get a message from a trainer or from an owner saying, hey, my dog, you know, started fidgeting in the office and normally he lays there. So then it's, okay, what changed in the environment to make him get up and fidget? And then we kind of problem solved that. Okay, well, someone else brought their pet dog and he could hear the pet dog walking up and down the hallway. So we we always are problem solving through those things. We do a yearly recertification with our dogs. And we also do check-ins where I see them once a month for the first six months after they graduate. But I'm available with text and phone call and FaceTime and all that stuff as well. Because it's a learning process for both of them. They have to learn how to use this new tool. And the tool has to learn how to be used. And you know, there's a, there's a curve to that and I'm there every step of the way. So cool. And I love that you got to be a part of their lives, right? Like, it's not like you've trained the dog when it's a puppy and then you never hear from them again, right? Like it's, it's a cultivated process and you really got to be a part of their journey. Yeah. That's something I really love about the position that I'm in where I've been able to shape what I love the most about service dog training and build it into the right program for not only the people I'm serving, but also myself and my capabilities and what really fulfills me. Um, Like even one of my um, owners got engaged and her dog was part of the engagement. Like her fiance used her dog and it was so cute. And she sent me pictures and like, I don't expect that from everyone. But it was just really cool to, you know, get to experience that and be a part of it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, I don't train service dogs. I just work with pet dogs. But that's still really profound, right? To, like, form those relationships with the dogs mm-hmm. and the people. It's it's really cool. So, um, ladies and gentlemen of the internet, if you work with a trainer, we love to hear from you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Even if it's just, like, a little tiny update. But it will fill me up for a week. And then I tell like all of my trainer friends, I'm like, guys, I got an update from this dog that was reactive and walked by three dogs. And it's amazing. And, you know, that those things just like light me up. And it's really nice. So text your trainer, call your trainer, 
yeah. email. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. So um, can you talk just a little bit about um, like some of the legality of like dogs access to places as a service dog? And I think it's important Absolutely. for people to recognize like this is specific to service dogs. This is not therapy dogs or emotional support dogs. Like this is only service dogs that are granted these permissions. Yes. Service dogs are allowed to have complete public access. There are some limitations to that. Federal buildings do not have to allow them. So if you are going into a VA hospital, there might not be access. If you are going into a federal building, there might not be access. I don't, I mean, there are lots of veterans that have dogs and service dogs. So it's good to be aware of that. Um, They are allowed on airplanes, public transportation, anywhere you go, the dog is a tool at that point. And that might sound kind of inhumane to say that, but that's how you have to think about it. If someone was allowed to bring their wheelchair, then you are allowed to bring the dog. So there are some accommodations that do need to be made at times. Um, For example, I took one of my dogs to the aquarium and I asked if I could go into the live show of sea lions because I love sea lions. And I, you know, said he's in training and in our state trainers have full access with service dogs. And they were like, yeah, that's no problem. And would you mind just sitting farther up so the animals aren't disturbed by it? And I was perfectly willing to accept that accommodation. If it was a fully trained service dog and I really wanted to sit in the front row, there might have been discussion with that. But you also have to realize when you're in those environments, there's other things that come into play. There are certain areas of hospitals that dogs are not allowed just because of biohazards. Um, other than that, the dog has access wherever the person needs them. So they need to be, and that's why it's so important. They need to be trained in all these different areas. Um, if the dog is acting in any way disorderly, they can be asked to leave and the owner needs to remove the dog from the situation. So that means if a dog is urinating or defecating somewhere if they're disturbing other patrons by barking unless it is an alert cue um if they are growling if they are pulling and you know jumping on tables sniffing people disturbing people the business can actually ask them to leave without getting any repercussions um and that's kind of where like the issue is because people will so many times slap on a vest on their pet dog because oh I want to take it somewhere and the dog isn't well socialized or well behaved and then people are more cautious and hesitant to actually let a full-fledged service dog into their business because of their past experiences yeah and that's something we talked about in the therapy dog episode too that like we all wanted to take our dogs everywhere but that is not the way that it works, right? And you are compromising the, the you know, the legitimacy of a service dog by passing your pet dog off as a service dog. So 
Um, I know that's kind of been a trend, but your dog, unless they are explicitly trained to be a service dog, should not have a service dog vest and should not just be going everywhere with you because that makes it that much harder for the people who actually need their service dog places. Yeah. And it honestly, most of the time I see one of those dogs where I know it is a fake service dog. Not all disabilities are visible, but a well-trained service dog is very obvious and one that isn't well-trained. So nine times out of 10, I would probably say the dogs are uncomfortable. They're showing signs of stress. They're at the end of the leash. The owner isn't paying attention to them. The dog is panicking because people are walking by. They're in an environment they're not used to. The floor surfaces are different. So, you know, the people that are doing that, it's really a disservice to their pet too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay. So, um, what about, um, service dog teams that want access to somewhere and they are getting, um, pushback like from the, the place. Okay. So like something comes to mind, like, um, trying to take your service dog onto a bus and the bus driver saying that service dogs aren't allowed. Like, what does that look like as like the, the handler side of that? Like, how can you handle those situations to make sure that like your dog can help you? I actually keep a screenshot and then a saved file on my phone of the ADA rules and regulations that very briefly outline where a service dog can go and what questions you can ask about a service dog. So service dogs should not be removed from their handler at any time, which means they would have to get on the bus. So I educate my clients to say, I understand that this isn't the norm, but my service dog is my, my tool, just like a wheelchair or an oxygen tank or crutches. And the dog needs to go where I am. Here is the information that you need. And I would read it to them or let them read it. And then I would just get on the bus. Um, That is a very scary thing to do. Um, I've actually had some bigger issues. It's important to educate with kindness. A lot of times people just don't know. And they might not even see the vest. You would be amazed at how many people look at the dog and they're like, oh, it's your pet. And then it's like, no, the dog has a vest or a harness on. Um, so it's educating with kindness because they're going to remember that the next time they see someone else with a service dog and hopefully treat them better than they're treating you. But it's also being an advocate for yourself and saying, no, this dog needs to go with me, period. And having the right information easily accessible. Nice. Okay. So, um, okay. So those of us who are just normal dog people, right. We don't need a service dog. Um, I think it's important to clarify what we as the public should or for, you know, really should not be doing when it comes to interactions with service dogs. Yeah. So if you see a service dog in training, you can ask to pet the dog. If you, Look, if the dog looks like they're being well-behaved, they aren't in the middle of a training session, the owner or the handler or the trainer isn't struggling with 10 bags and the puppy and this and that, and if they're just walking along, you can absolutely ask if you can interact with the dog or engage with them in any way. Um, 
but past that I ask people to not distract a dog and that even means eye contact eye contact is extremely distracting to a service dog because we they communicate so much with our eyes so if you look at a dog and you're staring at them hard or excited like oh my gosh like you can say so much with just your eyes to a dog so it's ignoring the dog and you know maybe starting a conversation with the owner saying wow your dog is fantastic I'm so impressed like you all look like such an awesome team if it's the right time to have a conversation but other than that just ignore the dog because they have a really important job to do and distracting them adds stress to the owner and potentially you know there are situations where the dog might ha- like get self-corrected if you start distracting the dog and they pull forward on the leash and the leash is at the right length for them to be in a heel position they're going to get corrected they're going to hit the end of the leash and feel it and they you know might have to have like a little training session and then that's going to make their owner run late so ignoring the dog and pretending they are not there you know and there are people my family's very good at it um for the most part if the dog's vest is off and they have permission it is snuggle sessions and playtime and practicing some basic obedience to get treats stuff like that but if the dog's vest is on the dog isn't there and even the cutest ones with the cutest little faces and they're just like i just want to pet them they're really good (laughs) at ignoring them so just try to ignore the dog Okay. Yeah. I think that's really good clarification, right? Because you just making eye contact can compromise the work that the dog is doing and as a byproduct compromise the human's life too. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So definitely ignoring dogs. Okay. So I think let's wrap it up. Um, can we talk about, um, the importance of letting a service dog also just be a dog outside of its work? Yes, that is, such an important part of the dog's life because that's bonds building that you know I think I posted on my Instagram on my stories a couple weeks ago that my training sessions with my dogs are immensely important but I had so I have this really awesome labradoodle cross that he is a workhorse he focuses and does the job And then the second he's done, he is a crazy noodle. Like he launched onto me, was like flea biting my face, play bowing. He flung a, like a toy in my eye, like hit my eye with it. Like he was just wild and crazy, but he's six months old. So like, what do you expect? But these dogs have so much fun. Um, The, you know, the pictures and videos again that I get from my clients are hiking and running in fields off leash and going swimming and even just getting on the couch and snuggling but when the vest is off that relationship is just as strong and just as important and just as fulfilled I have two service dog in training in my house right now and they are in their crates with some stuffed kongs Um, we went to the park this morning there's an awesome park that's a several acres near me that they can be off leash. So they were running around, sniffing things, digging at things, running, playing, chasing tennis balls. But when their vest is on and they're working, it's a different dog. So it's pretty incredible to see the transition. 
Yeah. And I think that that's important for people to recognize because I think sometimes it's easy to think like all this dog ever does is work, but that's not true, right? (laughs) Service dogs work and they understand when the vest is on, you know, the task at hand, but they also have an opportunity to live an enriched, fulfilled life um, outside of their work. And the cool thing is with positive training, that work is very fulfilling and very enriching. They're still getting so much fun and so much joy. And, you know, I've had the response like, oh, that's so sad that your dog is, you know, like having to work with you all day. And I'm like, your dog is probably sitting on the couch bored and waiting for you to get home. So I've just, I've just started responding to people when they, they say it very negatively too. It's not like, wow, it's so awesome. Your dog is with you all day. So I mean, I usually ask them, I say, okay, what is your dog doing right now? And they kind of look at me and I'm like, is your dog, like, do you have any toys at home for them? Uh, You know, do they get a walk like this and that? And then they kind of slowly back away. Right. And, you know, choose to think twice, hopefully, before they say something negative like that again. Yeah, right, right. And, you know, I think what it boils down to is that a good service dog enjoys the work. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, they love it. Sometimes the enthusiasm, um, it doesn't cause problems, but it's like I was working with a dog and I was asking for an alert cue on my leg and he almost knocked me over. Like He hit me so hard with his nose. And then he just like backed up and he's like, I got it. And it was like, well, I have a bruise now. (laughs) Thank you for that. I am. I would have woken up. Thank you. Nice. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, this translates across, you know, all realms of being with dogs, but using kindness and positive reinforcement yields um, pretty spectacular results that you really can't go, um, you can't get using um, punishment and aversive techniques. It's just, it's not the same product. Yeah, I am happy to say that every dog I have trained with this program has not had punishment and they put so much effort into their work and they're so happy and so joyful and there are times where sometimes they're stressed or there's a situation that isn't quite clear to them yet or something like that or they're overwhelmed but I can shift their perspective so easily because they have that relationship with me where they trust me because of our reinforcement history of me saying, no, it's okay. This shiny reflective black surface isn't going to swallow you whole. I promise. (laughs) Like, and that trust that comes into it, you know, because I've been giving them all of these things where I've said, yes, trust me. And they've gotten reinforced for it. So it's really incredible. That's beautiful. Okay. So Holly, you want to give us your final thoughts on service dogs, just so that, you know, aren't us normal people can understand. Yeah. Um, there's so much about them. I, I mean, obviously I really love training them. And if you're interested in training service dogs, there are so many different outlets, uh, national organizations that you can get started. Um, there's other smaller places as well. You know, I enlist the help of puppy raisers, um, with my company, but it is such a cool industry and it is 
a lot about people and a lot about dogs. So if those are two things that you love and you want to serve a purpose bigger than yourself, then you are free to message me or get more information. Um, but you know, don't make eye contact, (laughs) um, you know, give them their space, but also appreciate the work that has gone into it and the work that the owner is maintaining. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. So Hallie, if people want to connect with you um, on social media, how can they find you? On Facebook, I am Hallie Wells, H-A-L-L-I-E. I don't post as much there, but on Instagram, I usually do a couple stories a week on service dogs and then have little highlights of some of the service dogs that I'm training. And my Instagram handle is at Hallie, H-A-L-L-I-E, period, Beth, B-E-T-H, I guess I should maybe change it to a dog thing, but I haven't yet. <laughs> awesome. Okay. And I'll include um, the links for that in the show notes. And then I'll also include um, the um, Peach and Alicia uh, Instagram too, because there's so many cute yeah. service dog pictures oh in there. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So if you want to follow the company that I work for, which has some amazingly cute pictures of pet dogs and service dogs and therapy dogs. Um, it's peach on a leash and we're a really awesome force free, aversive free, positive reinforcement training team. Wonderful. Okay. Thank you so much for taking the time. This has been awesome. You're welcome. Do you want to be able to trust your dog off leash? Do you want to improve your relationship with your dog? A dog with a trustworthy recall gets way more opportunities to adventure and be a dog. Let's be honest, having a dog that doesn't come when called really kind of sucks. So, do you want to make your life easier? Do you want to learn how to train a trustworthy recall? Do you have 10 minutes a day to devote to training for just 30 days? Check out my online course, Trustworthy Recalls. I give you step-by-step instructions for teaching a trustworthy recall with just 10 minutes a day for 30 days. You can learn more about trustworthy recalls at agfdogtraining.com. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to learn more about us, please check us out on Instagram at a good feeling underscore in co you can also find us on facebook at a good feeling dog training as well as our website agfdogtraining.com. dog training.com